0: Hi, everyone. It's John Shushani, the host of the June Founder Series. In our conversations, we're highlighting the people and stories behind the brands we love. Each founder is moving the needle in how we think about living happier, healthier, and overall better quality lives. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Harry Ritter, founder and CEO of Alma. Alma is taking a provider-first approach to disrupting the mental health space. They built an innovative platform that's helping improve access by offering people more affordable in-network care and giving providers a one-stop shop to help them run their practice. Alma was initially founded as a brick-and-mortar first experience. During the pandemic, they continued to scale by emphasizing their telehealth offering and recently raised $28 million in their Series B to accelerate their impact. Harry's background is super impressive. He comes from a long line of doctors in his family. Instead of practicing after med school, he joined the tech-enabled insurance company Oscar Health as an early hire, where the idea for Alma was born. It was there that he recognized mental health as the most important topic in healthcare. Harry practices what his company preaches. His positive and caring demeanor shines through, and he really believes that leadership and conversations about self-care start from the top. We even got into the idea of a digital Shabbat and how Harry takes at least 24 hours a week to be completely off the grid. Enjoy. And we're live with Dr. Harry Ritter, CEO and founder of Alma. It's awesome to have you here, Harry.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is such a nice way to end the week with you. So thank you. It's great, I love it. Yeah, we're getting ready for Shabbat, the Sabbath um, a little day to take a little break.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, do you, uh, do you practice Shabbat? Do you get off your uh, phone or anything like
1: that on Saturday? I I do. So I've got, uh, two hours left and then I disappear from the world of technology for 25 blissful hours. That's great. And your team knows everyone knows. I think it's gotta be, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I think that I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but I think that there's got to be something really nice about knowing that your CEO will not, under any circumstance, reach out to you for a 25 hour period every week. So yeah, they uh, they know that from Friday night sundown until Saturday night sundown, uh, they won't hear from me.
0: That's the way to do it, top down. I I at the beginning, my co-founder hated it, and now he's grown to love and appreciate it because he saw that it had a direct impact on my own. Uh, health and state of mind which is a a practice I call airplane mode so every night at a certain time I just go off of off and put my phone on airplane mode and then in the morning I'd like to try to get 30 minutes to an hour of the day where I'm not uh, I I have kind of like a uh, a a free flow uh, where I'm not being bombarded by messages from the, the outside world so
1: we've we've, we've talked about this at alma a lot we and and we actually did i I think we did a series about this this idea of a digital shabbat Mm. regardless of your background whatever it doesn't matter there's a fundamental challenge we have of this like hyper connectedness always being on always being available and being able to create these sort of um barriers you know these like uh road signs that, that allow you to create some kind of a pattern to your day or to your week where you're taking time and you're being very intentional about it. You're declaring it to the world. You're saying, look, this is, this is my time. This is my family's time. You can't touch it. It, it has an incredibly profound impact.
0: Yeah. And it's probably had a detrimental impact on the other side in terms of, um, our mental health and our attention. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely dive into that for those of, uh, of the audience that don't know what Alma is and don't know who you are, uh, Harry, can you give us a little bit of background on on you and what you're working on?
1: Sure. So uh, maybe I'll introduce Alma first, since Alma's the more interesting piece. Um, so uh, our, our mission is to simplify access to high quality, affordable health care. So, you know, we we exist as a company really with that goal in mind. How do we make it easier for people out there to not just find great care, but be able to pay for great care? And both of these things are really challenging, right? Finding the right therapist, the right psychiatrist, the right provider to help you with your challenge, making sure that it's a good match, that it's the right fit for you. And then after you've done that, being able to afford it. You know, most care for a long time has been cash pay. You have to pay for it out of pocket unless you make a lot of money. That's just not in the cards. And so these have been you know, two huge challenges that have kept people from getting the, the care that, that they need. So what we are, what we do is we work with, Uh, mental health professionals, psychiatrists, clinical social work, psychology, et cetera. And we help them build incredible practices powered by our platform. So we're a a membership-based community. Mental health professionals join Alma. And once they become part of Alma, we help them with everything they need to run a great practice so that they can focus on what matters most, which is you, the client that they're looking after. Um, And for a consumer, you can come to helloalma.com. You can reach out to our client matching team. And what we can do is work with you to find the right provider in our community for your need, match you to that provider, and then make sure that it's covered by insurance. So we work with a bunch of major insurance companies so that the care that's being provided at Alma is in network. You can use your insurance and get access to care that's actually affordable. Uh, So that's what we do. My background is not that interesting. I'm a doctor by background. Uh, I became obsessed with mental health through my own journey, which we can get into but, um, I just fell in love with our customers, with mental health professionals who are, I think, just some of the most incredible human beings in the entire universe. Um, and uh, came up through Oscar Health, which was an amazing experience and and then ultimately had the privilege of starting Alban,
0: okay. I, I don't know why you're undervaluing uh, yourself, Harry, because I came off the phone with you when we chatted last. And I was like, dude, this guy's amazing. What a, what a legend. <laughs> Everyone should know who Dr. Harry Ritter is. And then you told me you're also a, a JD. You, you went, if your path uh, med school wasn't challenging enough, you went to law school uh, wa- during your time at Oscar. So I definitely want to dive into to your you and your background and your story. Um, mentioning Oscar and sort of just thinking about your uh, time in even medical school, how did Alma come about? Like what, what inspired you to start it and what was, what was the story to the creation of um, what you've built so far?
1: Yeah. Well, look, I think like many founder stories, there is a personal story and then there is a, uh, a a, a career story. So the, the personal story, um, I lost my father about uh, two years ago Uh, I was a solo caregiver to him for about the five or six years before he passed away. And, you know, for many people out there who have gone through this, right, caring for a a parent as they go through that final stage of life is an incredibly challenging process. And in Mikey's doing it alone, uh, you know, creates its own challenges and and difficulties. And I was fortunate enough to find uh, a therapist um, who really helped me enormously. Um, thinking about the evolution of my family, my roles, how I interacted with that anticipatory grief and the anxiety and challenges that came with it. So that was really my, my starting place was that experience, uh, where I just, I fell in love with what mental health could do for me and for my family. And then I was at Oscar health. As you mentioned, I was really blessed to be part of that team, um, from from the early days back, I joined, started working with Oscar before we had a single member back in our first open enrollment period. So back in the wow. pretty early times and got to see that business just grow so much. And when I was there, that was when I really saw like mental health, the journey that I had, my experience, it wasn't unique. You know, people were. Realizing, appreciating, taking ownership of mental health, their mental health, the need for better access to uh to care. And it became obvious to me that mental health was the single biggest problem in healthcare. And I actually would say now, maybe I wouldn't have said this before, and I should have said it before, but I, I would say this very strongly: the biggest problem in our society today. Hmm. Um And as I started to like learn about this space, I was, I was at Oscar, I was working on a lot of our virtual care and integrated primary care and mental health models and things like that. I started spending a lot of time with behavioral health professionals. So psychologists out there in the community. And, you know, I said this a minute ago, I just, I fell in love with these people. Like they're just, um, they're amazing. They're just so, they're just, they're just wonderful. They're caring, they're loving, they're empathetic. They want to do right by the people that they take care of, but they're just so underserved. Most of the clinicians in mental health are, Solo practitioners, small business owners—they don't have the resources and support they need to be able to take care of all those people out there who need it. And so that was that was the genesis. That was you know the question. Then became how can we help these people? How can we help these amazing healthcare professionals with the ultimate goal of making sure that people like me can get access to the care they need? And what is the problem? Like
0: when when you think about the
1: world of therapy or
0: mental health and you think about the provider, what are you trying to optimize or solve for them? Is it customer acquisition? Is it relationship management? I've heard you talk a little bit about community. Um, Can you touch upon some of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, so first on the client side, there's three challenges. Stigma, discovery, cost. First, admitting to yourself that mental health matters, taking ownership of that, you know, being willing to engage in the conversation is step one. Step two is then where the heck do I go and look, right? You know, I don't know, do I need a psychologist, clinical social worker, nurse practitioner? What do I need? What's the difference between this modality, that modality? And then fine, I've realized I need care. I found the provider I want, but it's $250 a session. I can't afford that. So that, that that's really the, you know, if you look at the three roadblocks, stigma, discovery, costs for the, for the client. For the provider... It all is rooted in my view in the fact that you're taking a professional who has dedicated every ounce of their training to being a great clinician, but never got a, a minute worth of business education. Right. And you're asking them to run a business without any support. So, you know, they don't have, at a practical level, the technology, the ability to negotiate with an insurance company, the administrative support, all those things that you need to run a, a business and a practice efficiently and effectively, and they're lonely. You know, you're out there trying to run this practice, trying to take care of people, and you're doing it by yourself. You don't have the support of colleagues, of you know, people to be part of and work with. And so, you know, that's what we try to solve. We say, look, we can help with these three challenges for the consumer, stigma, discovery, and cost. But to do that, we need to help providers get organized and to come together so they have a community, they have a sense of belonging, and they have access to the tools they need to be efficient about their practice and take care of people.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you've seen that model work in medicine, not to say it's working so seamlessly in medicine, but, you know, in LA, for example, we have UCLA um, that, really is is ru- taking care of the admin and the operations, but then you have a bunch of these amazing doctors who are working under that umbrella. And it sounds like that hasn't happened in mental health yet. Or if it even has happened, it hasn't happened with a brand that really felt like it spoke to the consumer and really made it seamless and delightful.
1: I think that's right. I think the other difference I would, I would call out is that our providers don't work for us; we work for them, uh. and that's really important to understand. About you know Alma, we we really believe that when the provider gets the support they need, the system gets better for everyone. So what you what you're referencing, you know, last twenty or thirty years, maybe longer, but last particularly last twenty or thirty years, you've seen incredible consolidation in disciplines that are physician driven, cardiology, cancer, et cetera behavioral health has remained very much fragmented these small businesses. And so as we bring these providers together part of the vision of alma is we want to do it in a way that actually continues to let them maintain ownership yeah. right over the care right they don't work for us we don't tell them what to do or when to do it but gives them all the support that they get from being at a UCLA or you know is part of another you know larger group and so that's that's a big part of our philosophy in in terms of how we try to work with our with our providers.
0: Very cool. And two things I'm really curious to dive into. One, you guys started with a really strong brick and mortar and um, retail um, foundation um, in New York, and really taking. I don't know. It, it's it's. I, I don't think I can make necessarily the comparison to Drybar, but I always look at what Drybar did in terms of that space, and then think about how that exploded to things like acupuncture and things or maybe even like a one medical um or an oscar um how has that evolved um with the onset of COVID? i'm imagining you guys had to pivot a a little bit and is the vision and and the future of alma still uh, creating physical space for these providers or is are you moving to a digital first um environment and solution
1: yeah it's a great question. Look, I think, you know, you, you, you're on this journey with me, right? We're, we're entrepreneurs. We're leading businesses, trying to achieve a mission uh, and always learning from the, from the experience and, and evolving as we do. And um, our North Star has always been, how do we support amazing clinicians and give them everything they need to build and run a great practice? That's always been our North Star, right? The vision, the mission has always been that simplifying access by supporting great clinicians. And if you look back... To the world in 2017 and 18, when we started the company, in real life care was where the industry was. The vast majority of clinicians wanted to be practicing in person. That was where they did their work. And so as our, you know, when our product first evolved, space was a big part of that. We wanted to make sure we were providing our customers with what our customers needed and wanted. Um, We always envisioned Alma as a platform that could expand far beyond the walls of those spaces. And before COVID, most of our members were practicing outside of the four walls of our spaces, but the spaces were a very important part of our community and an important part of what our providers looked for in Alma. Along comes COVID, a pandemic none of us could have imagined. Uh, We saw the spaces, you know, desert, get deserted overnight. Uh, But at that same moment, the value prop of this supportive community platform that would give you the tools you needed to take care of your clients take insurance and to do that online or wherever you needed to you know just took off and so we saw incredible growth in 2020 uh, where both providers and consumers flocked to the platform because we were offering what people needed at that moment an easy way to find a provider who takes insurance and a good provider who's supported by a community that's getting getting you what you need so that, that was a big transition for us i think looking to the future We're all, I mean, we're all thinking about this. I think you and I spoke about this the other day, even for CEOs of any company, do I get an office? Do I not get an office? What's the future look like for in-person care? I was talking to my primary care doctor, I had my checkup last week and we were talking about this, like what things are you gonna do online versus not online and how does it all work? I think, uh, you know, our plan right now is to continue scaling as a virtual platform, right? Supporting clinicians wherever they are, however they are, giving them the tools and services that they need. I think we will remain attuned to what our providers need always, and we'll always build products and services to support that. But what the future of in real life care looks like, I think it's just, it's still very early to, to know what that's gonna look like. And for right now, you know, this is a moment to be scaling yeah. the virtual platform.
0: Yeah, and there's been a huge explosion in terms of just awareness of mental health and um, the concept being destigmatized, which is really amazing. Um, you have all these upstarts and companies that have, received a lot of funding from the B2B, you know, mental health as a benefit to telehealth in the mental health space. And I think there's now at least a conversation, a big conversation that has taken the the center stage. At this point, what do you think people still get wrong about mental health? Like with you being on the front lines and understanding it from the provider perspective and the customer perspective, what do you think... People should know and are getting wrong today.
1: So uh, I don't know if they're getting these things wrong, but I'll tell you two things that that I think are, are maybe underappreciated, or undervalued, or or perceived incorrectly, maybe. But um, the first is um, this idea that mental health is a is always a disease to be cured. Right? There's no concept in mental health today of Preventive mental well-being, right? It's a a very limited concept. I mean, we talk about it in the context sometimes of resilience. We use the word resilience or grits, or you know, those kinds of terms, right? When we want to talk about this concept, but we really don't yet have a well-developed vocabulary to talk about the idea of preventive mental health. Maybe even mindfulness. I think mindfulness is a great example. It's part of this, I would say, grit. Resilience, mindfulness. There are these three words, right that we use that are part of this cluster that we we have yet to really define well, which is this concept that if you invest in your mental well-being, you can prevent or mitigate mental illness and mental challenge down the road. You know it's the same thing if you're uh, you know, I'm 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 at risk for diabetes and high blood pressure, and I know that you know I wear a fitness tracker and I exercise and I check my cholesterol, and these are things that I can do to delay or lessen heart disease later in life. One in five Americans will experience a mental health issue in any given year. Right now, in COVID, it's over 60% of Americans who are experiencing symptoms of a mental illness. So this is not something that only a few of us will get. Almost all of us will experience. Some amount of mental illness in our lives. And we don't have a vocabulary or concept around prevention yet. It's, right. it's evolving, but I think that that's one, one misperception or, or an area for us to develop a better vocabulary. The other is I, I think people don't always really have a good sense of what they need to find in a therapist. You know, I think a lot of times people don't really understand what's the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a clinical social worker. Why would I select one over the other? Um, and that's an area where you need, I think services like Alma that can help you walk through that process and understand it better. So you know our client matching service, for example, really works with prospective clients, tries to understand what is it you need, what you know, what are your actual goals so that you can get a much more nuanced sense of what you're looking for before you start care and maybe don't have the right expectations or the right goals set and ultimately come away with a bad experience. Uh, and so I think that's another spot where people don't have, they need guides. They need people to help walk them through that and help them understand the need uh, more so than they think. And I think that's why services like what we do on you know our client matching, for example, are so important.
0: And is that a fully digital experience? Like as a user, do I go through and basically take some sort of like uh, intake form or assessment in order to find out what type of provider would be best suited for me as and then I and I, I will continue the relationship with that same provider.
1: So our, our process is a mix of people and technology right like a lot, like a lot of this in healthcare there are there's so much that you can augment automate and make more efficient through technology but uh, oftentimes especially when you're talking about your mental health having a person having a human being who can help kind of guide you through that is really important So you know you can reach out to our client matching team at care at helloama.com or on our website. Uh, you'll go through a digital experience to help understand what it is that you're looking for. But at the end of the day, there will be a human being who yeah. looks at that assessment, who looks at our data about the providers that are available and recommends a match based upon a human assessment of the need and uh, and how we can best serve it. And obviously, there's more and more we can do to make that more predictive. But I do think, you know, when you're going in to talk to someone about a failing relationship, childhood trauma, whatever it is that might be bringing you to mental health, knowing that there's a human being there at the other end that's going to be thinking about you individually is 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 a really helpful thing.
0: As you were assessing the space and the opportunity in terms of like as an entrepreneur, as a founder, like I'm going to jump into this and build this business, um, were there any hesitations or doubts around, you know, building a scalable business in this world and and if so like do, do those doubts or hesitations still um are, do those still hold true today or or have you come across new sort of challenges as you look at the next 6 to 12 months as a business
1: well new challenges always yeah and 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 fears and concerns and nerves about this or that always um when we started the business though the size of this market was always obvious to me the size of the opportunity it's just you know it it is in my view the biggest space in healthcare, uh which is the biggest part of our economy i mean the the size of this opportunity has always been very obvious to me and i've never had any doubt about the size of the opportunity Uh, the one question that i had when we started was kind of is the world ready and specifically i mean are the institutions that need to buy into this ready, specifically insurance companies, employers, right? That, that no. sort of the people who pay for uh, the care and decide what gets paid for, are they ready? Uh, and I think that was an open question. If you go back, you know, two or three years, I don't think that's a question anymore, right? If you look at the major insurance companies, if you look at industry leaders, if you look at what's coming out of policy, employer groups, et cetera, the the awareness about mental health is clear, and the trend is clear, and you know I feel like to our you know to the partners that we work with, the insurance companies that we work with, you know credit is due. They have really come to appreciate the importance, the value, and they're putting resources and energy behind it, and that's why we're able to do the work that we do today. Um, but but that is a question we had at the beginning, and I think one that we're really we're really grateful for the way that that the world is responding. And it sounds
0: like you guys have done an, uh, an effective job at getting those other stakeholders on board in terms of, uh, we even spoke about how you've gotten this insurance buy-in and aligning incentives there has really helped move the business forward. Because as you spoke about the pain points of the consumer, paying for this stuff is really, has, has traditionally been, been a hurdle. Um, as you think about the system, where else is there the biggest opportunity for innovation? Thinking about something along the lines of like, I'm a, I'm a resident or a patient in California and technically I cannot legally see a patient, a a therapist or clinician in New York if they are not um, like verified or, or have their license here in California. Do you see that changing with the, with the boom of telehealth and where else is there still opportunities to tweak the system? So it just serves everyone better. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll make two comments. First of all, you you talked a little bit about, you know, how we have been or tried to to, to achieve real success by getting the different stakeholders aligned and helping to make sure that the partnerships works. I think it's just really important for businesses in this, sec- in this universe to always make sure that the products they're building create value for everybody in the equation. You know, so for us at Alma, the client gets access to in-network care that's affordable, where they get help finding the right clinician. The provider gets... Efficient, easy, you know, experience taking insurance, running their practice, and you know, the facilitation of insurance that makes sense and works well for them. But you also think about the insurance company and how are you servicing their needs by creating better access, by serving them better, by helping them better serve their key customers, the employers they work with, the other key stakeholders in the system. So I I do think that's just an important kind of macro comment about this space that it's I think really important for businesses in this area to be thinking about the various stakeholders and making sure that how they're designing their Business model isn't zero sum; that there is value created for all of the key stakeholders. In terms of the big white spaces for some of that growth, I do think you you hit on the biggest one, right? Which is virtual care and cross-state licensure. Mm. And what will happen you know, during COVID? We've seen a, a relaxing a lot of a lot of those rules, waivers that states offer for people to be able to practice across state lines. What does that look like in 12 months from now? Do we go back to a protectionist state-by-state Kind of a thing, or do we acknowledge that anxiety looks the same in Nebraska as it does in Wyoming, as it does in California, as it does in, you know, uh, uh, Florida? It's, it's this is, um, and also that in a post-COVID world, people may be moving around more than they did before, and so you're creating barriers to care that just don't need to exist. I, I think we'll see change. I'm optimistic that we will see thoughtful change in this space, and that will really open things up in a way that's really helpful to the industry. How about as you think about like something like med school
0: and you think about the focus on, I don't know, something like mental health and, or even something like diet and nutrition. How do you, do you see that system changing in the next few years in order to kind of catch up to like where we are today in terms of what, what has been popular in the consumer space? Yeah,
1: it has to, right. Eventually it has to, the challenge is that, um, I mean, I went to medical school, you know, I, I I had a great experience. I went to a wonderful medical school. I learned a lot, but there's a lot of tradition, right? And there's a lot of this is how my forefathers and my forefathers before me kind of did did this thing. I you know I remember I was at Massachusetts General Hospital, which is an incredible hospital in Boston. Uh, I, you know I felt like I could you know on the floors in my intern year could prescribe you know, immune suppressing cancer drugs, but, you know, God forbid you ask me to prescribe Zoloft or refer someone to therapy or provide a real recommendation about diet and exercise. I mean, you know, that just wasn't the vocabulary. Um, It'll have to come from us though, right? It will have to come from uh, patients, from uh, the industry where we're saying, look, this is what people want. And for you to be effective at what you do, you have to understand this and you have to be able to really work with, with this piece of it. And I think that will happen, but it will have to come, I think, from the consumer, and from 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 the from the from the outside world, to say, look, this is what people care about and what they want to see. It's an exciting time. It's an it exciting, <laughs> it's
0: an it exciting time it's on the forefront, right? Um, I'd love to, Harry. I'd love to switch gears a little bit and think about, dive a little bit deeper into uh, your you as a person, not necessarily your background and experiences, and think about um, mental models, systems um your own mental health and well-being journey and maybe even s- things that you've uh, applied in order to improve your own product uh, productivity and focus i'm at the beginning of of the conversation we dove straight into shabbat and taking time away from your phone um thinking about first on like the productivity and focus side is there is, are there any other habits or practices that you've um, applied or maybe learned from someone else um, that that has allowed you to maximize your productivity and your time
1: I think the first one and it's it's connected to this concept of Shabbat that we were talking about but I think you can you can uh, take the concept and apply it throughout everything is intentionality about time mm. um, you have a certain number of hours and minutes in a day. And if you are not intentional about what happens when, um, it, it really makes it difficult to get into flow. So, one of the things that I, you know, if you look at the week, right, Friday afternoon marks a certain moment. There's something that I can expect on a weekly basis that I'm acclimated to, that I get from the world on Saturday when I'm offline, when I come back on Sunday, there's a certain thing that I can expect to get from the world on that day. And I've tried to bring that into my my calendaring system. So I you know, try to make it so that, for example, there are certain kinds of meetings I take on this day, certain kinds of meetings I take on another day, so that it, I can get into some amount of flow. Um, because I think that that makes a difference. And just having that intentionality about um, time, I think, is is really, really important. It's been very impactful for me. Super cool.
0: Yeah, I, I'm trying to get personally better at that. Like I've started to take out Mondays from my calendar in terms of like meetings booked um, in order to have that data kind of like come back from the weekend and be strategic. And I think even as you think about mental health, like aligning your intentions with your behavior when it comes to time is like the hardest thing, whether you want to create time to work out, whether you want to take time to see your loved ones. Um, so I love that you hit that. Um, as you zoom out and think maybe about your well-being practices um, more broadly, um, are is there anything else that you do um, for your physical or mental health that has had a profound impact on your on your business and your leadership?
1: I think the um, the biggest thing I would say is I, I think I was talking to actually a, a CEO of another company earlier today about this uh, who has kids. Um, so I have three kids, um, and a lot of many traditionally like a Silicon Valley prototype, right. Is, is not a guy with kids. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a different kind of a, a, a framework, but I think it makes you so much more effective to have other things that you're committed to mm. and that dominate an important part of your mind share outside of your work, because you, you find that they, the synergies and the, the the interplay between the two is so powerful and impactful for me, um it's two things. One, it's um my family, right? I I love being a father. Uh and so, you know, my mornings, for example, are really privileged time. I wake up with my kids every morning until 8:30, from 6:15 till 8:30, right? They're mine. Um, and that sort of, you know, having that and having that focus makes me so much more productive from eight 30 until when I finish my day, you know, I could have started at the desk at six in the morning, but I, that extra two and a half hours pales in comparison to the energy that that gives me. The other, um, thing for me is, is, is learning. So I, I think it's just so important to learn, uh, outside of, um, outside of what you do professionally, you know, whether it's reading or other kinds of things. And so whether it's learning a new language, um, you know, learning, uh, if, if you're religious, religious text. If you're, uh, you know, interested in uh, science, science text, right? But for me, I think that's a really powerful thing to do, and I, I try to dedicate as a practice thirty minutes to an hour every day just to learn on some new topic that um, you know that, that I'm interested in or that's important to me.
0: And what are you geeking out on right now? And anything? And, and have well, you? It's very
1: esoteric. So what I'm geeking on right now is very esoteric. I'm I've been learning. I love the esoteric yeah I, there's there's a uh, there's a great um uh, jewish sage the ramban maimonides who was a physician uh and a uh, a, a rabbi and uh, a huge thought leader um in his in his time um and one of his iconic texts is this uh book called the mishnah torah so i'm learning a chapter a day right now and it's a, it's actually a three-year cycle so learning a chapter a day and it's you know that's it's a, it's a routine. It's a practice that I've, I've gotten into. And, you know, sometimes you're learning about the last few weeks have been about or relatively about, you know, lunar cycles and the setting of the calendar. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's esoteric. It hasn't, you know, but it's, it's very, very interesting. And it, it, it's a really fun way to exercise your brain in a different dimension.
0: I love that. It's funny. Cause I grew up going to Jew, Jewish day school. And I think if I went back now, I would just get so much more out of it. Um, You know, I was trying to skip my class and not do my homework, but now I'm like, you know, more, a little bit more spiritually aware. And I think I would, I would really uh, get, get a lot more out of it. So that's, that's really cool that you've uh, dug deep there. Random question, but you know, you being kind of in and around the psychology world. and, And as you were talking about being a father, got me interested in it. And I think there's something called like internally, internal family systems, um, IFS. Um, it's it's some sort of line of thinking within psychology. And I think a part of it is like, what from your parents do you emulate? And then what from your parents have you rejected? and And do you kind of like purposely intentionally not do? And as you think about yourself being a father, I'm curious if there's anything you can share there around things that you particularly taken away and, and integrated into your process of being a father and a, and a family man and anything that you've uh, intentionally stayed away from.
1: That's a great question. The the main thing I think I've emu- I, I try to emulate from my parents is, um, is trying to express regularly, consistently, uh, my unconditional love for my children. Mm. I think it's just so important as a as a child, as you're growing up, to just know that your parent loves you, right? Like it's unconditional. It's always there. And you know, I think sometimes we make this mistake in love relationships that we assume that once you've heard it once, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. You know, if I say to my wife, "I love you," once I said it, yeah, nothing changed between when I said it last and now. So, you know, you should kind of assume the default. But that's not how we work. We, especially from the people that we are closest to. You know, we actually need to hear that even more uh, from them. And I think my, my parents always did an incredible job of of prioritizing uh, me and expressing that unconditional love. And I think that's something that I've tried to, to bring into, uh, into our own home. In terms of practices that I avoid or, or have changed, uh, I'm sure that there's little things I could come up with. I think the only thing I would say at a macro level really relates to... Uh, the issue of, of mental health and how we approach mental health. I think, mm-hmm. and it's not something my parents didn't do, but it's something that I think my wife and I think a lot more about intentionally is how are we just making sure that we're emphasizing uh, teaching our children the vocabulary of their emotions mm. and creating space for those emotions to exist and to live and to and to flourish. And I I, I think my parents did a great, a great job of this. I'm not saying this is something that they didn't do, but uh, I think that there was less of a, sense that this mattered when we were kids.
0: Yeah, maybe more of a focus on like the grit and the perseverance, like,
1: I think getting... so. Yeah. I think so, I think that that's an attitudinal change where, you know, there is an older generation that says you, you grin and you bear it and you fight through it. And there's a newer generation that I said thing says, if you really want to fight through it, deal with it. Uh. Right? And you will be more powerful for that. Uh, it's not about shirking away from the responsibility or the challenge or, you know, getting off scot-free because you're not, you know, I don't want to I give up. It's not about that at all. It's about creating the vocabulary so you deal with it now so that it goes from being a weakness to a strength. Uh, and that's something that I, I don't think is so much a critique of my parents per se, or but I think of a generation. Because mm. I think when we were growing up, whether it was in schools or in, in 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 knowing parents, it wasn't a part of the vocabulary that we had. Like we like we should, and I think like we do now. Yeah, and I think
0: like you said, there's still even so much more vocabulary we can develop on the topic of fatherhood and leadership. Um, would love to close out the conversation, you know, with maybe two more questions around. Um, you as a leader within the company and as you think about your own leadership style and the well-being of your employees of your providers um how do you invest in that as a, as a CEO as a leader and think about your people being having their cups full in order to be able to give to your customers and your other stakeholders
1: for me a lot of my philosophy and approach uh is be, it begins from the question of how do you think about your employees and your, your, your teammates uh, and your customers? Do you, do you think of them? How do you conceptualize them? And, and what I mean by that is, for me, it's really important and, and part of our culture at Alma is that everybody who works at Alma is an adult. They are a full-blown person who is committed to doing well and to doing right, and so therefore should be given the trust and the, uh, and the latitude to make the right choices for themselves, Right, And so I, I think we always try to emphasize this at Alma about you know when it comes to work-life balance. Look, you have to decide. You know, I remember this when I was in M- M- McKinsey, amazing place, I love it, it was an incredible place. The hardest part of that job was that you did not own your own time. So I don't mind in a certain week working 70 hours if that's what's required of me, but I wanna pick which 70 hours, right? I, I wanna be able to have some ability to um, incorporate aspects of my life into my work that's gonna help me get my energy and make my cup full. And I think it begins from, do you think of your employees? Do you think of your teammates? Do you think of your customers as adults who, when given the resources, will make the right choices? Or do you think about it more paternalistically, where you have to tell them, you know, you're a three-year-old child or whatever, you've got to eat your broccoli before before dinner. And so, you know, for example, we have a a mental well-being stipend we provide to our, our teammates, very, very connected to what you do and why I love what you do, where ultimately what you're saying is you decide you know what you need huh. right you you are you are a grown up you are an adult you are the captain of your own ship and that's why i think what you guys do for example is just so important why i think adoption of your product should be through the roof because if you come to the work with this orientation that these are adults who i want to help by giving them the resources and then letting them decide I think you can get to a much better, much better outcome to, and to a better place. And then the only other thing I would say on this is, I think we also all failed sometimes to express enough gratitude to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, for example, in our all team, every week we do an appreciation section where people have an opportunity to say thank you to each other for whatever it might be. Uh, I think if we all took a little bit more time just to say thank you, uh, it, it would help a lot. And it's a, it's a it's a value that we hold very dear at Alma. Uh, how do you express gratitude to each other? to the world for the opportunities that you've been given. Uh, I think it creates a lot of really great outcomes for how people feel.
0: I love it. Let's get, let's give some Alma. Let's give some June to the world. Um, so grateful to have you on here, Harry. It's a bit, your, your wealth of wisdom and you're awesome. I'm, I'm excited to hang out. Hopefully when you make your way back to the, the West coast, the best coast, Um, not, not the best coast, but Uh, Anything else you'd like to share? Like as you think about the future of mental health, um, what are you most excited about?
1: The thing I'm most excited about is this idea that we can aspire to a world where regardless of your background, regardless of your circumstances, you can get what you need Mm. to achieve your mental health and mental well-being goals. Uh, and I think we are moving in that direction. You know, I think the fact that we can, for example, at Alma provide access to care that's affordable, where insurance gets involved, where employers get involved, all of that, that, that's the, that's the starting point. Uh, and that's what I'm most excited about, uh, I think for, for the world, for the opportunity here, can we really simplify access to high quality, affordable care for everyone? Um, and I think we're on the path, you know, the, the, the I think the future is very bright. Uh, my hope for the world is that people will take advantage of these opportunities and will really engage in that process of where am I today? Where do I want to be in the future? How do I want to build myself to prevent, but also to treat, to get myself into that place that I can be the best parent, partner, friend, colleague, et cetera, that I can be to create a positive change in the world, to, to make this world uh, a better place for the next generation. I'm just going to
0: mic drop, leave it at that. (laughs) Thank you so much. for. It's good to see you. Great to see you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. It's good to see you, my friend. Be well. Likewise. Thank you.